0: This is the EWN Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy.
2: Hi everyone. I have the pleasure of introducing Marilyn Baker. Marilyn Baker is the owner and CEO of DH Casters. She's going to tell us a little bit about her business and about some of the Things that she's done during COVID nineteen to address uh, the post pandemic economic environment that we're going through, and what the decisions that she's made as a business owner, Mary Lynn.
3: Excited to talk to you today and tell you a little bit about the casters and what's going on in our world. So we are based in Southern California, in Ontario, California, and a lot of people say Canada, but no, California. (laughs) And uh, we actually are a manufacturer of couches and Wheels. And what we do is we work with 10 different factories and we have them meet our quality standards and we work closely with them. I get to go to China a couple times a year and see those factories and they actually put our brand on it because it meets our requirements. So what that means is we work with distributors, a lot of distributors, a lot of manufacturers. We also work with retail stores. And we provide them with wheels and casters to make things mobile. So, you know, just to give you an idea of some of those customers, we just had a call from Santa Barbara Museum of Art, and they needed some casters, so we got to work with them. We've worked with Lockheed Martin, we've worked with um, retail display companies, and during the pandemic, we got calls from a lot of people looking for wheels that need to go on lab cards. We had an, one that we worked with the uh, University of Pennsylvania on. So. You know, it's been a time where we've been very fortunate to be an essential company that we're able to keep our doors open. But when the pandemic actually hit, in the first time in our 35 years of business, we had to close our doors, you know. Something they don't teach you in school. They don't teach you in your organizations that you work with other women business owners or other owners. And... It was challenging it was really challenging to figure out what to do during that time it happened very quickly and so this is where being a leader really comes in because you have to be able to look at the situation and make decisions quickly and so what we did is we closed down right away we had everybody file for unemployment And we kind of sat back and looked at it and said, okay, how are we going to get through this? We knew it was a time to get stronger. We knew it was a time that we weren't going to sit around and do nothing and just wait for things to get better. We, um, I pulled two, actually three of my managers and gave them enough money to say, hey, let's do this as a team. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we know we're going to work together and keep working. So we did just that. And we, we, Looked at what was going on talked to our customers got educated to the best of our ability and then all of a sudden we saw that customers still needed products so we had to figure out how do we do that so what we did is we took control of it and said okay we're going to talk to our customers and say can we instead of shipping every day can we hold our order so we have enough then it makes sense to bring us back in to do it. Because, again, we didn't know how much income was going to be coming in, so we were watching our costs really carefully. So we did that for a week. And then um, I was the only one in the office at that time. Everyone else was working home. And we had, at the time, two warehouse people coming in that week. And they did the orders. They worked short hours. And then the next week it was three days. The next week after it was three more days. And then we got to the point where we had enough orders coming in that it became a full week.
0: And so you we did this before
2: have... COVID, even before March, when everybody else shut down, you were having these practices in place, or this was specifically after the March shutdown?
3: We shut down on the 18th. So we did it a little bit earlier than the, the whole state shutdown. down, and, or the stay-at-home order came out. But we thought, because our business started um, slowing down, because they could see what was going on nationally, and it, just, it was at the very beginning stages of it. And our orders came to a halt, where we didn't have any orders coming in. Our business just kind of, you know, get it in and just stopped. And so, from a business standpoint, I looked at it and said, okay, right now we have cash in the bank. And because we have so much inventory, we don't always have a lot of cash just sitting here because we're always turning our inventory and purchasing products. And so I wanted to make sure I had enough money that when we did open up, I could function and have enough to bring people in and buy products and do the things we did. So we well.
2: As I say, cash is king or cash is queen. In terms of making sure that you have the right foundation in place to continue to sustain the business, which I think is important because there was a podcast I was just listening to last week by Keith Cunningham, where he talks a lot about cash being the foundation. People think it's profit. It's really cash. Cash is what's going to sustain you over the long haul. And so what's most important is not only cutting costs or being careful of where you spend your money because you're trying to make a profit. No, more importantly, the focus should be on how can you preserve cash and to the extent that you see cash drying up, what are different decisions that need to be made to adapt to that, right?
3: Absolutely. And what we did too is I talked to all of my vendors that so we went through accounts payable right away. And we said, you know, this is what's going on. We're going to pay you. We're going to be okay. But we're going to pay slow. I said, I'm trying to stretch my cash as much as possible. And so as long as we communicated to them and let them know what was going on, it was fine. And so we were okay with that. And then, um, you know, once we got to the point where we got our P3 money, so our PPP money, um, we did bring the full staff back. And at that point, we had more people working in the office. So when we first had only a couple of us in here, it was really easy and we just kind of, it was all fresh and new and we were all nervous and we just kind of stayed away from each other. And then as we brought more people in, that's when we needed to have our plan. We had to have our action plan of how we're gonna do this. So now we have masks for everybody that we've been wearing the whole time in the office. If I'm in my office by myself, I won't, but as soon as I leave my door, then I have it on. Um, We went ahead and bought lots of gels. We've got signs up all over about washing your hands. We had meetings and talked about what's in the procedure. We changed our break room. So we only have one person in there at a time. We actually pulled the table out of the break room, so there's more space and people can sit kind of on the angles. We changed the lunch schedule, so people aren't having lunch at the same time. Um, we created a will call procedure when people are coming to pick up the casters and wheels that they have to call first and it's a no-touch thing, like we'll, we'll leave the paperwork, leave the product, they sign it and talk on the phone, that kind of thing. If someone does need to come into the building, they have to sign a paper that says they haven't, you know, been exposed and, you know, no fever, those kind of things, those symptoms. And then they have to wear a mask also, same thing our employees all sign the paperwork coming in too.
2: So has we, has, have these protocols slowed you down in any way in terms of comparing to pre-COVID versus current situations now? Would you say like orders and shipping and, you know, the process by which people got their orders, has that slowed down in contrast to before because of the protocols that you have in place now? Or what, what are your thoughts or uh, feelings about right now in terms of how it's affected the business and how you move forward from here?
3: From, from a business standpoint, um, the sales were definitely down. We were down, um, you know, probably sixty percent at the at the beginning, and then we were down about fifty percent. So so, and it's definitely coming back now again with what's going on with the stock market and the new fears. You know, we'll wait and see how people are going to react. But right now, um, it seems that we're we're busy and continuing to go up. The only adjustment that we had is because of the global shipping issues that are going on, UPS right now is the primary one that comes every day for a pickup. We had to adjust our time with them so they pick up earlier in the day um, just to, to work with their, what they've got going on. So you know that was the one change we've had to make in terms of our um, inside procedures. But other than that, it's, we're doing things the same way. It's, Our warehouse is large enough that people can be spread out. They've got different workstations they work in. Um, The only thing we did do here is we moved someone that was sharing an office into the conference room and made that his own office. So everyone right now has their own office and the one large office area has two people in it but there's plenty of space.
0: So.
2: And I think what it sounds like is just like many businesses, as you're starting to ramp up, you're trying to return back to normal, right? To return back to the levels of revenue or growth that you had before. Obviously, with a slower economy where we are in a recession, things are moving more slowly in terms of growth. But ultimately, like every company out there, the objective is to hopefully return to a level of productivity and revenue growth that was before the crisis, right?
3: Absolutely. Well, and the one thing, too, is we do have two workers that are working at home. So, our customer service, um, girl Jessica, is actually expecting in July, so she's chosen to work from home. And, it, you know, it's one of those things I would never have imagined that our customer service calls and representatives could be doing it from home, but it's working out just fine. So, she's doing that from there. And our bookkeeper decided that she wasn't comfortable coming in full time. So she comes in probably about six hours a week and she's doing her job from home too. So, you know, it's interesting how this pandemic has allowed us to look at what is a work environment and what does that look like and how you can be flexible with it to create environments that's a win-win for the company and for the individual.
2: And how has how have these changes affected culture within the company in terms of attitudes or change in general, right? Human beings uh, don't always embrace change easily because we like to be comfortable and we like to know and have all these answers already laid out for us. And with the current circumstances, anything and and everything can happen pretty much after we've experienced after March, like who would ever thought that we would shut down the economy, right? And just put a halt to everything. I don't think anybody would have ever anticipated that. And as we're trying to start it back up, how has that shifted or how has that affected um, your employees or your company as a whole in terms of, do you feel like there's still this apprehension or there's still these fears that exist or people are getting more comfortable with change because we've kind of gone through the worst of it with having the most unexpected thing happened, which was somebody halt the entire economy, right?
3: Right, right. Well, I think, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit before, too, about honesty and being open with our employees. And I think as a leader, when it first happened, too, and even now, we talk about that there is uncertainty, and we don't have all the answers, and we don't know what's coming. So, you know, we do the best that we can. We try to stay educated and on top of things. But I think that um, that rawness of going through it together and all of us being scared, all of us not knowing what this means, what's next. I mean, again, it's, who would ever think in 35 years that you'd have to close the business doors down that provide income for your family and the families of others? I mean, it was a horrible day, you know. And, you know, talking about honesty, I was crying because – you know, I'm sitting here talking to my employees and tears are coming down my face because it's not so horrible to
2: say, hey, you guys, I can't provide for you. you and it wasn't a choice either, right? As a business owner, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't like, hey, you could do A and B. It was a govern- government-mandated, everyone must do this, regardless right. of who you are, what you are, and boom, you're going to have to pivot or perish or do whatever you need to survive. But... This is not a choice. Everyone has to do it from a public policy standpoint.
3: Well, and I think, too, you know, just like we know with the protests that has been going on, too, you know, that has been another opportunity to open up discussion and talk about things and share things as, you know, we call ourselves the DH family. We call us the DH familia, you know, because we've got people of all nationalities that work here that we're very proud of, and what we do, talked about. Um, Actually, we had an instance just recently when the riots were going on and the looting that one of the employees said, you know, right down the street, the Walmart is being looted. And we're all like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's again, a time where you don't know what's going to happen. How bad is it going to get? What's going to be next? And, you know, the city of Ontario actually had the curfew come in. And we all gathered at the end of that day. I had everyone go home a half hour earlier. You know, the people that like to work late, if now. no, you're not working. You are leaving too. You know, I was the last one to lock the door and make sure everyone was out. And um, I gathered everybody. And we talked as if we were a family. And we talked about how it was scary. And, you know, that this building is going to be fine. Whatever happens. And, you know, in our world, we talked about God too. And I'm like, you yeah, know, We're gonna be okay. God's got this. And we we don't have control over the big picture. And so it was one of those things where we you know, Mm -hmm. said, Hey, go take care of yourself. You go be safe and take care of your family. So, you know, those are the times that just bond us bond us more, you know? And when we know that for example, Jessica's having a baby and doesn't want to come out and all this, we're like, No problem, we got this, we'll make it work. So you know, when you do those kind of things and you look at your strengths and your weaknesses and you rally together as a team, you know, you can only win. You can only win. And, and really, I believe that this will make us stronger and a better company and a better team because of it all.
2: Well, the teamwork makes the dream work, right? And I think the other thing that you've highlighted is faith, regardless of whether or not it's religious faith or not. It's just having faith and trust either in oneself a higher being, whatever it may be for different people. Right. But faith itself is super important that you have to go, you have to trust something. You have to trust something in order to move forward and work with what you've got. Right. Rather than trying to control the uncontrollable, that's never going to benefit anybody because no one knows what that is. But the things that we can control, those are the things where we need to be very clear about and focus
3: on those aspects
2: of the business
3: well and that's one thing too as we talked about you know the things you can control so right before this happened we were ready to launch a new e-commerce website so you know it was something that was our project we've been working on it for a while and then when this hit we were like okay now we're shifting gears hundred percent this is the most important project let's get this done And so, you know as we're seeing people are doing business differently, you know people are ordering online more the retail online commerce is picking up more and more and more. So again, you just look at, you know, how do you pivot. What do you need to do during this time and Just look and see, you know, where's the best place to spend your energy. So we're looking to launch it Hopefully by the beginning of July, but we're very excited about it because you know, it's it's another opportunity to reach people and
2: support our customer and so i'm curious i know you said recently you had a meeting where you're talking about 10,000 businesses, business mm-hmm. as a small business and a yeah. lot of discussions um probably not only the government level but you know city social economic level too um i'm curious to know what was discussed and how that will impact companies either to help better support them or make them more informed or what have been some of the discussions that you've been a part of?
3: Well, it's been very exciting. The last two weeks I've had the opportunity to do some advocacy work. And um, National Association of Women Business Owners had it the week before. And this is a time where people would normally get on a plane and go to D.C. and meet with the decision makers and the politicians and so forth. But, you know, um, people have gotten creative this year and we've done it virtually. So. Um, that was the first one, and that was amazing and that was all women business owners And then this one this week was um, Goldman Sachs has a 10,000 small business Program and what they do is they have scholarships available for small businesses and you go through kind of a mini MBA program and it's, you know we talked about how sometimes you shouldn't always work in your business, that you need to work on your business, and it really forces you to do that because there's things that to do. So after you do all that, you get to be a part of this alumni organization, which is really awesome. And the Goldman Sachs group has done a lot during this time to um, be a voice for small businesses. They've taken surveys from us and then presented it. So this, this week, they had two days. They had the West Coast at one time and the East Coast at another and they really worked on three priorities. And the first one was to increase the um, paycheck protect or paycheck plan for tech Well, P3, PPP, I'm like thinking what it is. It's like, we're so used to calling it PPP now. But um, to increase the flexibility of that, which a lot of that is already happening, that's already been passed, which is awesome. And the other one is to apply for a second round, because there's actually $20 billion left still in that fund that has not been claimed. And with a lot of businesses still closed, a lot of businesses, you know, their business is still way down. Just like I said, our business is still down too, that um, we're really working on trying to get a second round. And then the other one is the litigation shield that is needed for um, for workman's comp Because right now they're saying, if someone goes out and is in the workplace, that if they can claim that they got coronavirus from being at work, well, we know that their whole life isn't at work. And in my case, you know, we're doing all these things to keep a safe environment. So we're really asking that they give us more protection from that and don't have it where the businesses have all of the um, responsibility and the cost that will come from that. Because if there are, you know, there are, The insurance company is already saying
2: that Workman's Comp is going to go up in January. Well, and that's just it, is I think there's a wraparound or a bigger effect of that, which is not only are employers responsible for employees that got COVID-19, even if they didn't get it at the workplace, and they they can't prove that they got it at the workplace or not, and the employer can't disprove it or prove it otherwise, right? It's automatically a worker's comp claim. Not only does that affect the cost of insurance premiums, which now is almost like an additional whammy to companies right. in terms of right. their expenses, but on top of that, it's almost an unfair aspect of it because why is it automatically assumed that it's the employer's responsibility or that the individual got it at work if maybe they aren't even at work to begin with because they're working from home, right?
3: And the the conversation we had yesterday with Senator um, Norma Torres is, you know, give us a list. Like, give us a checklist instead because she's like, well, we don't want people going into a business that isn't safe and they're not doing things. And we're like, we'll do it. Just tell us what's the regulation. You know, tell us what boxes we need to check. Then we can say, hey, we're doing it. So don't punish us for the few that aren't doing anything. So that was the one thing that we were engaging in conversation about, which was really good. The other one that's really exciting is I just actually got the recording sent back to me. So we were on the, on the conference call. There were over 100 people on the phone, and it was with Senator Feinstein and they were talking to her about the additional funding for the PEP and for the second round of it. And we were telling her that, you know, there's this $20 million sitting there and all these companies that still need more funding to be able to have payroll to keep people employed and do the things that we do as a small business. So she was actually awesome and listened so well and understood what we were saying and so she's already working with people to write up um, something, a proposal to present to see if we can do this. And she wants to get it done quickly while the money's there to get it funded and approved. So like I said, there's, this is, I was getting ready to get on with you. There's emails already coming through saying, who knows someone to help write up the legislation? Who knows this? And, and trying to gather, you know, the resources from the business owners to present this. we can give it to her to go ahead and bring it back so that's the thing that for me right now that's been so exciting is to really be a part of the opportunity to talk to these people that are making a difference and to giving them the voice of the real business owner and to have them understand because you have other people go well you know small business owners don't need it they're fine they got money well they don't understand some of the businesses haven't even opened yet and they still have rent to pay. They still have insurance bills to pay. And if they don't pay them, then, you know, how can they open their doors? So. Well, I think it's small tight.
2: and biz- big businesses too, because I was listening to podcast with Keith Cunningham last week, or actually I think it was this week, but He was talking about how small business owners need to follow the large businesses. And when coronavirus hit, large companies like Starbucks and Nike, they demanded that they were not going to be paying rent for 90 days for all of their locations. They didn't ask. They just said, we can't. We're closed. We can't afford it. Boom, we're not going to be able to pay for it. And it was interesting that he highlighted that because I think most small business owners tend to be more conscientious and not even think about that. They're like, hey, I have this expense, I need to pay for it, I'll stress about it because I need to pay for it. And they're not even thinking like that. However, obviously by following the big guys, top of mind for them is cash is king, right? And I need to do everything I can to preserve what I have. And he said another thing that a lot of large companies have done is drawn down on the cost of cheap debt, right? And so small business owners need to think about that in the same manner. So I think it's interesting that you highlighted this, which is small business owners to a certain extent have to change how we're thinking, not how we normally think, right? But take some pointers from some of these larger companies.
3: Well, and I agree with what you're saying to some degree, but I also think that we don't have as much power. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what you're saying, I totally tried to do that with my landlord and, he was right away was like, Well, show me send me your financials and send me this and that. Because he was nervous, like, oh gosh, if she can't pay, she can go out. In the meantime, I was just trying to stretch my cash, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, there's some people that have the ability to work with you and others aren't willing to work with you. But that's what we were talking about too, from a litigation standpoint, again, as we're talking about the temp, you know, the, the liability shield that we need, the larger companies have a whole staff of attorneys ready to fight. Where again, if all of a sudden we had a big, you know, litigation suit against us as small companies, we don't have the funds to do that. So we need to have some protection from that. So it isn't a level playing field. And that's why when we were talking with Senator Feinstein, she was saying, I want small business to be clearly defined. And how do we define that? She goes, I don't want the corporations giving this money. And I thought that was fabulous, because we do need people to fight for us. And, you know, when you look at who makes up the businesses and who's the one that's feeding all the families, it's a lot of small businesses that are doing that, so.
2: Well, and another thing he said too is that small business is very good at innovation, right? That's not to say that large companies aren't good at it or don't have innovators, not at all. But small business, the way, you exist because you innovate, you change, you grow. That's the only way that you become more successful as a small business. So it's it's ingrained in you to have innovation within the walls of and the confines of how you grow. And so when we talk about innovation and what does the future of this country look like in terms of jobs, in terms of workforce development, it has to do a lot with innovation and large companies acquire small companies because of their best and brightest ideas. Right. So there's a interrelated impact that everyone has. So without small businesses and without protecting them, which I think is phenomenal that 10,000 small businesses is getting together. Goldman Sachs support as a large, you know, company is supporting small businesses. And then having this conversation with Senator Feinstein, like that's huge because It's acknowledging how there's a wraparound and a need for small businesses to coexist today. But the hard part is given the economic situation and the lack of clout, like you mentioned for a lot of small companies, a lot of small companies realistically are going to go out of business. There was a statistic I saw, which I think it's something like 48% of small businesses expect to go out of business in the next six months.
3: Wow. That's
2: huge. Right, that's close
3: to half. That's a lot, that's a lot. I'm looking for the sheet of paper too because I have to say too, there was another one and I'm trying to think, I want to make sure I say his name right. Um, This is C-I-S-N-E-R-O-S. He'll, he was congressman and he's out of the York Linda Fullerton area, District 39. But one thing that he said too that was really, really cool too is because we were like, Well, We would love to be on a board with you or if you needed small business people to talk to to hear our voices That we would be willing to do that and he was totally game. He's like absolutely He's like, you know talk to my person, you know that kind of thing So that's something else that we talked about because you know, they are our representatives And they need to hear our voices and they need to hear real ones and you know I'm sitting here telling you about all this policy and politicians and stuff, and I, like I said, I have not been someone that is political and knows all this stuff, but, you know, what's been going on this year, I just really feel that it's important for us to have that voice because they're making decisions that are gonna affect me, my family, and the people I employ. So, you know, it is that time that it's important.
2: Well, and I think it's timely because we are in an election year. So in November, we do elect our new president, and our new vice president. And so I think if there's any time to get more active, right, to have greater activism in the community, political activism, social activism, it is now. And I think that's a conversation I remember I had a couple days with another friend of mine where I was asking her her thoughts regarding what's happened socially and what does that mean. And I think it's greater awareness for what is going on. And there's nothing bad with greater awareness or greater education or you know, greater activism. We can use all of that together and be more active in our communities. And especially now, it's critical. It's a, I think it's become critical mass. There's a critical point and critical juncture where everything right now is heightened for a reason. And so it's whether or not we seize that opportunity to embrace that Embrace that anxiety, embrace that fear, embrace that stress, and use it for opportunity to see phenomenal change occur, too.
3: Well, and I think you're absolutely right, and I'm really excited because I'm going to be on the board this year for the National Association of Women Business Owners for the Inland Empire chapter, and I was talking to the president yesterday, and we were talking about the things that are going on with the racism right now and the increased awareness, and... You know, as being a white woman, I was talking about some of the things that I've been watching and some of the things I've been listening to and, you know, just really widening my awareness. And we were talking about how, you know, being in the Inland Empire, it is a diverse community and that we're so excited that we are going to have this opportunity to open up the floor for discussion. Have it be a safe place where Someone of one race can ask a question to the other, and there can be that dialogue. And no question is a stupid question. And just to be able to feel comfortable. And like I said, you know, I was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood, went to schools where, you know, there was a couple people of color. So the world that I was raised in is very different. But now, like I said, here at my, you know, with my team, I'm a very diverse staff, and it's fabulous because we all bring our strengths, and we all bring what we bring to the table, and it's a great work environment. So, you know, we just need to, to have that opportunity to have that discussion in a safe place where, you know, we can be educated, and also to be in an environment we are with people of different cultures and different, you know, flares and things that mm-hmm. just becomes one, and we just have fun together and trust it, you know? So I'm really excited about what the next year is gonna bring us. We're gonna do some really awesome things in the Olympic
2: Empire. And I think that's what's really exciting too, is being able to interact with people of different faiths, different colors, different backgrounds. The yeah. only way that you break down barriers is by hearing people share their personal stories and being able to have those safe conversations that if someone asks about someone's particular experience, as a African-American or as an Asian female or Hispanic or as a white female, there's nothing wrong with asking has your experience been like. And even though that may sound naive, I think you have to create the safety for asking those questions because that's the only way you learn about right. someone else's experience. And I think it's interesting because we've gotten away from that. We've created our own silos and we've gotten – very good at distancing ourselves from each other because we aren't engaging and interacting as much or that we don't feel as comfortable at asking those questions and feeling confident that it's okay to ask that question, right? We can't assume that someone understands or knows or is all-knowing. We need to instead be able to talk about the hard things Mm -hmm. and not be afraid to talk about it and... To also acknowledge, I think something I was talking about with a bunch of individuals last week is poverty and the experience of poverty is not a color thing. There are some colors that may have more, you know, some races that experience in it more than others, but poverty can happen to anybody and everybody, right? And the other piece that I think what's great that you've highlighted is we all, just by humanity, by being a human being, we have a common experience, which is we can all hurt. We can all experience pain, and we forget that, right? So right. now is the time, and I think you've said it, now is a time of opportunity where we can be more humane to each other and more, and embrace humanity for what it is, good or bad, good, bad, and the ugly, right? Just embrace it and go with it, but learn from it, appreciate it, and look at it as a time right now where we can move forward and do some really great things if we really seize that opportunity rather than shy away from it.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes.